what is table stakes today is probably what were differentiators three, four, five years ago. Whether it's media buying, whether it's performance marketing, you know, traditional media planning, these are table stakes. There's no question. Hello and welcome to the Media Leader Podcast. I'm Omar Oaks. In today's episode, only one in 10 major multinational brands believe the current agency model fits their future needs. But it's even worse than that. One in four big brand marketers believe the current agency model is unfit for future purpose. Those are the tough findings from the World Federation of Advertisers and the consultancy MediaSense, whose Future of Media Agency Models report calls for a new breed of agile, specialist, tech-focused agencies to add value to a more centralised model. Joining me to talk about why so many marketers seem to have a problem with the way they hire and work with agencies is Ryan Kangissa, Managing Partner Strategy at MediaSense. Ryan, where does the Media Leader podcast find you? Hey, Omar. Uh, great to be here. I am uh, at home today, uh, northwest London, um, but otherwise you'll find me uh, in our, our London HQ on Great Portland Street. Great to be here there. Yeah, and um, we're recording this in December, just before Christmas, um, but intend to publish this episode in January, just at the time when hopefully people in media and advertising are feeling virtuous and turning over new leaves, etc. Um, now, let's get into it. This report came out in October, and we'll post a link to it in the show notes. We covered it at the time, and we might reflect on what the reaction to it has been since then. But um, Ryan, let's recap. What were the key findings for you? It was quite illuminating in in many ways. And I think at the time we were putting it together and and trying to find what the hook would be, um, because we've written a lot in the past around uh, the speed of transformation, the challenges around talent. And I think as you started this podcast, with just such a low proportion of, of brands who feel their current model is fit for future purpose was, was clearly quite alarming. Now, there are, you know, there's a vast majority who feel they have the right model, but are looking for, for improvement. But certainly, though, there is, you know, clearly a large group who are looking for fundamental change. Now, I think... Um, Again, you, you highlighted this is a multinational advertiser study, top 75 advertisers. So we, we must think of it or consider that context because this is ultimately the views of, of some major multinationals. You know, many will be very decentralized, have some large scale requirements. So understandably, a lot of that points to the traditional holding company as, as their prevailing model. Something like 75% are working with either one or two holding companies. Um, but I think just the... The need for change now seems particularly acute, given how brands over the last couple of years have really transformed themselves and are now looking to their agency model to better mirror that model to their own um, internal needs. So I think the the appetite for change was clearly a key finding. There is clearly a, a large portion who are undergoing a change at the moment, and that's very much to, um, in the pursuit of greater simplification, i.e., potentially fewer agencies, um, flexibility, so looking for different servicing models that may help to unlock greater speed and agility. And then the, the third piece around integration, um, and this is not predicated uh, with consolidation, but just better integrating media, data, technology, content, particularly at a time where the lines of 
blurring so much between the different communication channels and um, with the role of data and technology becoming so much more pervasive, brands are really looking to their agencies um, to pull it together in a much more seamless way. Yeah, um, so it's really interesting. The study found that nearly all, 92%, nearly all of these brands surveyed believe speed and agility are important. But despite that, less than a third are satisfied with how their agency delivers um, in terms of speed and agility. I mean, what what's the issue here? I mean, this is client service. So the, these if these advertisers want something, why can't they just get it? Because if I think if you consider just how many touch points for one, um, you know, certainly the the way that agencies have historically been organised is around those very touch points. So for brands wanting to deliver this this omnichannel, this you know very experience led output, it involves a lot of people, and they may be people within the same agency, within multiple agencies. Um, you've also got the in house element as well so with those brands who've been on that journey not exclusively those who are executing but certainly those who are managing data and technology and and certain elements um, in-house it requires a tremendous orchestration of of all these different people stakeholders data technology approaches to, to bring it all together and and that's really all in the pursuit of delivering this this speed of at the speed of culture delivering to consumers what they want when they need it. But of course, it's not as, as simple as it as it seems. And of course, we have the with the potential around automation and AI ahead of us. It should become easier, it should become faster. But, you know, getting in the way of that, uh, uh, you know, arguably certain processes and practices on, on both sides, which are holding back just the ability to really leverage um, the power of automation and, and deliver at that desired speed. And, um, you know, I would argue even within a consolidated model, it may not always be as fast as within a decentralized, decoupled agency model. There must. So when you're starting off a pitch process, big advertiser wants to review its media agency count, for example, um, they, they must be having this conversation with you beforehand. I mean, are these... Uh, how, how are you getting uh, these demands written into the briefs that you're putting out when you're running these pitches? I think that there's been a real shift, um, particularly the last two or three years, where brands are being a lot more precise and intentional about what they want from their agency. So if you'll forgive the analogy, it's it's almost becoming less about all-you-can-eat buffet and more a la carte where they can be more directive about the the capabilities, the type of operating model, the commercial model that is required to support the internal organization. So how how that manifests is that in the briefing process, brands will be very transparent about themselves, you know, how, how they're organized, how they're structured, and therefore identifying where and how the agency can better supplement or complement that, that model. Now, they may be they may well be looking for the agency to be that orchestrator or alternatively they may just be looking for an agency to supplement expertise in areas that the brand may not have and um but i think that level of prescription is probably how this is manifesting today versus what may have been historically where you know you set out a list of requirements and then the agency comes back with how they choose to organize themselves around um around that business 
Now there is a there is a key blocker or enabler, depending on how how you look at it, around the commercial model, because of course you know the many would argue, and it came out in the study, whether you know agencies are remunerated by fees or by commissions or or deliverable based models. You know that that equally needs to be aligned with the desired change and the the type of way of working. So you know taking automation as an example. Um, that flies entirely in the face of a fixed fee model because it doesn't really incentivize agencies to be more efficient with with what they deliver. But moving to maybe more output outcome based, then there's far more opportunity and incentive to to move towards those type of models. So I guess to, to summarize, it's very much brands being very much more prescriptive about what they want from agencies, creating more time in the process to actually explore these operating models, explore ways of working, SLAs, uh, workflow, all, all of the things that, that ultimately get in the way so that they're able to make a decision that's far more informed by, you know, what it's like to really work with these partners more than just, you know, the, the, the traditional table stakes of trading and performance marketing and uh, servicing. Yeah, so you use a really interesting analogy just now. So you've compared a la carte, um, which is what marketers increasingly want, versus what they might have had before, which is a buffet. Now, Ryan, I've been to many buffets, and I know that there are some good things, but there's a lot of fodder that you want to avoid. You want to get your money's worth by going for the lobster as opposed to the pasta. But generally, when I'm ordering a la carte, I expect to pay more. Um is what you're saying essentially brands are going to need to pay more um, for this upgraded service? And are they willing to do so? Yeah, I, th- I think it's a combination of pay more, but pay differently as well. So, um, which I guess is the a la carte going down that analogy. There is no question, and we've we've also written a lot about the crisis of talent in our industry, that there are certain skills that are more scarce um, and are more transformational for to that client and therefore carry more of a premium. So, you know, we've identified that around data and insight, e-commerce, arguably, which goes to the piece around integration, we need more of those integrators rather than the just the deep channel specialist. And that, again, comes out of the, the wash with that um, greater prescription around what we want. Part of that is being very precise about the, the capabilities that they need. So, again, we know we've seen some of the data around salary inflation in some of these areas. So, I, th- I think there's certainly a um, recognition that these these skills do cost more. But it also, I think, what is what brands are looking for is to balance that with some of the operational efficiencies that will come through automation or just better ways of working. So why is integration so hard? Because you have 20 people around the table to talk about their individual disciplines. Of course, if you can have fewer people who can be more horizontal in their outlook, you know, brands will be able to work with their agencies in a much leaner way, powered by data and technology uh, as well. So I think that the intent is is clear. They need a a better model. They need a, a different model, but it needs to be capability first. This episode of the Media Leader podcast was edited by a production partner, Trisonic, a results-focused agency that plans and buys all audio media. Check them out at trisonic.co.uk. It was really interesting when you launched this report as well. So it was in um, October and it just happened to be um, on the eve of our Future Media um, conference, our flagship two-day conference in London, um, where we 
we always um, get together some of the most senior agency leaders as well as brand marketers and media owner executives to you know have a private um, discussion about what do we need to do looking ahead for 2024 in terms of improving the way that media advertising all work together um, and that actually you know that's a really important thing that the media leader does in terms of you know that's how we reflect what's going on in the industry um, and actually this report came out a couple of days before we had that debate and it was referenced a couple of times and you could really see um, among the agency executive this this almost angst in terms of um, needing to better communicate and respond to um, those concerns from marketers. I mean, what's been the reaction you've had from marketers, from agency people that you speak to? Yeah, so I, I think for for brands, it's, it's there's been a lot of validation for, for what they have probably been experiencing. So you know the fact that they are there is clear room for improvement within their model. They are looking for something that needs to better reflect their needs than than what it does today. And and what they're buying today is probably not what they're going to need for tomorrow. So that I think there's a real um, acceptance that the model needs to change. I think as well where we see um, the level of dissatisfaction with speed, integration, talent, again, it supports what they what perhaps they've been experiencing. I think from a from an agency perspective, again, it, it goes back to the the sample of this of this study, you know, very large advertisers and, and certainly I, I think the specialists may look at this and think you know, maybe they feel underrepresented in that there were there were not many of many of the people sampled at least who are working with those um, challenger holding companies or the specialists at scale, at least. And naturally, a lot of their clients may be um, at the kind of next level in terms of in terms of science. But I think at the same time, it it does support the role of the specialist that um, we saw from a um, an in-housing perspective that specialists play an important role in helping clients to in-house or to support that journey. Um, and equally specialists, we've seen, uh, you know, only a few weeks ago with the acquisition of Flywheel, just how, how valuable those um, specialists are in some of those key disciplines where clients are looking to double down their investment and, and need to find, um, be able to leverage that uh, leading capability. So, you know, I think there's, there's still a lot of uh, opportunity within the, the within the specialist space. But at the same time, what the holding companies do very well is offer that you know that set of capabilities and and the, the the ability to integrate. They may not be there yet, but they they certainly offer the ability to seamless integrate across all those different channels, um, powered by you know more common data and technology infrastructure. You know some of the questions I've had at least have largely come from you know those challenges who probably don't feel as well represented. Um, but I you know I expect that will that will change over time. Um, particularly as, as brands, for those brands who at least are looking to bring more in-house and looking to, to use partners selectively and across key capabilities. Yeah, and it actually reminds me of 
It could have been one of the last pieces I wrote when I was still at Campaign Magazine, when I um, wrote a column essentially arguing that um, big global advertisers should take a closer look at working with specialists. And I might be misremembering, but I think it come, a lot of the argument comes from what you actually reference in this report in terms of needing to be more agile, needing to be more always on, and actually brands should be internally reconfiguring themselves to better accommodate um, specialist agencies in different markets. And you know, I spoke to someone on background who um, I can't remember whether they were at MediaSense or not, but they were definitely a big media media pitch consultancy. And they used the phrase, um, big beasts will always want to sleep with other big beasts. I mean, is that essentially the problem that if you are, you know, we've got some, you know, um, very well regarded um, UK specialist media agencies, for example, but you remember there was a two or three years ago where it wasn't the seven stars won L'Oreal and then for whatever reason it was decided they couldn't actually service that account so it ended up going into WPP I mean surely that's always the fear yeah I mean it's like you say that it, it does go back to the the organizational design of those you know those big beasts I mean many of those operate in a very decentralized way you know they, they, the mar- the local markets are very autonomous you know they have their own budgets and therefore their own, you know, they have the freedom to work with whoever they, they wish to. So in that in that scenario, then, you know, they're, they're very much, you know, free to work with whoever they want to, and they will choose to work for a best in breed as, as, as appropriate. There is, however, you know, another set of, uh, another cohort, if you like, of those large brands who are moving to, um, to centralize a lot of what they do and, and trying to find those those operational efficiencies, those strategic um, areas where they can better leverage their scale, um, they can better leverage their technology, they can um, work across much more consistent measurement and processes around data and brand safety. And from that perspective, it, it, it does unfortunately lead to a more simplified model where you know you have fewer partners uh, it's a much more simplified and, and consistent model. And again, if you think about this desire from brands to work within their own infrastructure, with their own technology, it becomes easier to drive the compliance with that with fewer partners rather than working with multiple agencies where there's arguably greater dependency and stickiness, understandably, with the agency, which may just get in the way of, of that. But, you know, I think it's, Again, I just want to be careful to, in terms of the point about integration, and you know, doesn't it, it's not intrinsically linked with with consolidation or, or that kind of single holding company model. It can very much be achieved through multiple agencies, but but does require a, a strong client who can operate in that orchestration, that orchestrator way. Um, and clearly, you need to crack the commercial model so agencies are all incentivized towards the same ultimate outcome. And one thing clients don't want to do is manage their agency's business. That's that's on them to do. Um, but they're certainly not mutually exclusive. And I think particularly when you get into the d- debate between media and creative, which was another you know, big hypothesis we, wanted, hypothesis we wanted to test in this study, it may be that at the moment, I think 60%, according to the study, have complete independence between media and creative. But one of the questions which was, um, looking more, you know, in the next three to five years, something like 40% of brands agreed with the statement that we will see media, creative data and technology come together. And I think it'll be interesting to see if, if 
for those wanting to do that, whether they feel they can achieve that within a single holding company or they can achieve it through just stronger ways of working and that commercial model that brings it all together. Yeah. And the reaction you've had, the results that you've gained from this, I mean, do you plan to do more work on this? Yeah, I think um, one of the areas that um, we're very keen to look at is is indeed the commercial model, the, the remuneration model. Um, I think similarly with the agency model, there's an overriding feeling that it's not fit for future purpose, but I'm not sure many necessarily know what the alternative is because of, you know, there are pros and cons with all the different types of um, commercial models, but it's because it's such a, a key unlock, we're very keen just to try and explore um, the different models that exist today and where there may be uh, opportunity to, to drive towards a model that, you know, ultimately drives the right behaviours, allows, you know, agencies to um, attract and retain the best talent and really allows the whole system, quite frankly, to, to leverage the technology that's out there and not let some of these um, encumbered models uh, get in the way of that. So between between um, the, the remuneration model, we you know we'd also love to take another look at talent. Um, we did a study two years ago which suggested this is the worst ever crisis, and I think two years on, it will be interesting just to see how attitudes towards that of change are changing. And um, certainly, what we what we see what we hear is that it's less about recruitment; it's more about retention now. And um, you know, mm, making sure mm. that people feel the work is meaningful, and um, you know, they're being obviously being compensated fairly. Uh, yes, a very different job market at the end of 2023 compared to the middle of 2021. Um, I remember when that report came out. Um, really interesting. So, so what do you think is going to happen going forward in terms of next year? There are going to be reviews happening, contracts ending, brands looking for different partners and being mindful of everything we've just been discussing. I mean, do you think do you think much is going to change? Is it already coming through in the conversations when you're preparing to review with advertisers? There's definitely, I mean, there's a lot of suggestion at the moment around Media Palooza Part 3, just like it, you know, these things. Oh, God, are we on Part 3? Yeah, I, thought, three or four. I can't remember what um, we're on now. Look, they're, they're always going to be the, the, you know, the three years, you know, the, the brands who do it every, you know, in that cycle. Um, and th there's certainly suggestion that there is a volume of pitching coming. But as I, as I said at the start, I think it will be far more intentional and um, brands are better placed to review their agencies, just given the, a lot of the transformation that they've, they've been under over the last two years. Again, our, our Media 2025 study that we released in 2022 underlined something like 80% of brands undergoing or planning to undergo an internal transformation. And the external tends to follow that having, you know, once they've been able to just reset um, and recalibrate their own organization. So look, I think, I think there will be activity. Never like to, um, you know, agitate around these things because I think particularly with, you know, we should also consider the transformation agencies have made and many of those have been on their own journeys to, better rationalize the, the model and, and find better ways of working and try and re remove some of the redundancy of being a fairly decentralized business. But I think beyond just that of pitching, I think what we are seeing, what, what I think we'll see is brands being more choiceful in their investments. I, I, you know, I wonder if we'll move to more of a, a zero-based mindset with just more focus on 
quality and, and attention um, with the focus on trying to deliver better integrated experiences for, the, experiences for consumers may actually force brands to just look at the role of media or at least look at the role of paid media alongside that of earned, owned uh, and shares. And that may, that may be a little ambitious, but I think with the progress many brands are making around just better understanding their consumers, being able to better leverage the data they have, it may force those to just look at whether paid media is always the answer or, or whether they need to look at um, a better combination of. So, you know, not, not to say, you know, budgets are going to dramatically reduce, but I think there's just how the conversations are evolving around measurement, around data, around privacy may suggest that brands are going to be a, a bit more transversal in how they think about the role of media, which is a, which is a good thing. And, um, you know, it will hopefully make for better conversations with their partners and, and maybe accelerate this, this need to integrate the system, that system-based thinking, uh, rather than looking at everything in its own respective silo. Yeah, completely. I mean, the world has definitely moved on from thinking that the be-all and end-all of advertising marketing is purely a function of um, how much media you're spending. Obviously, media spend is still really important, but there's a lot of really interesting and impactful work that's happening all over the industry that doesn't necessarily involve paid media, but it involves working creatively with media owners. We're working creatively across you know, the influencer space. Um, and you know, I had this in a recent conversation with um, the CEO of Nielsen, where I, I asked him why why are we still so bad in the UK? And Nielsen tracks all of the ad spend in the UK. Why are we still so bad at measuring digital spend? And frankly, it's because a lot of activity is bought directly. Um, so again, whether it's brand or performance, a lot of the really interesting work isn't always picked up when you're just looking at media spend. Um, I would certainly, you know, I always try and get our team at the media leader to not just report on agency wins accounts or brand reviewing accounts. I'm always interested in, well, well, why are they doing that? Why are they doing that? And, you know, I mentioned future media before we still hear at a lot of the conferences that we run. This this rallying cry for um, for agencies to for brand marketers to talk the language of the CFO to convince the organisation that marketing and media is not just a cost; it's actually investment in the brand, which is a you know investment in sales ultimately. I mean, do you still feel in these conversations you're having with on the on the buy side in particular, do you still feel that that message hasn't permeated that media spend? Number one, it doesn't have to be all about media spend, but number two, that if you are spending on media, that it's not just a cost on the business. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those things that, you know, it sounds good. You know, people like to talk about, you know, marketing as an investment, but, but the reality is, um, you know, and rightly so, it needs to be accountable. And, you know, although we have more data than we ever have done, we're probably still no clearer on being able to measure um, efficacy and you know, I heard a podcast recently, I think it was Sir Martin Sorrell talking about just the, the macroeconomic picture. And I think to, to that piece, you need to look at the regional picture and just where the growth opportunity is in Europe relative to uh, to other markets. But it, again, not not to want to go back, you know, heart back to the agency model piece, but I think a large part of this is, is just how the system is organized. You know, it's organized around the different channels and disciplines, despite the fact that as you rightly say, the lines are blurring. 
you know, what is, what is, you know, media and content, brand and shopper, social and influencer. These are, you know, those, those kind of traditional lines of that would typically kind of distinguish between two channels are now, you know, so, so closely apart. So, um, it has to move in, in that direction. And we have to look at, you know, the, the wider, um, you know, I guess more in a consumer centric way or a broader marketing perspective, rather than just looking at media as a, as a vehicle in it, in its own right. Yeah. And, um, how have things changed? Um, I want to use the pan pre pandemic point as a reference point in terms of, and I'm not, I'm not, um, I was going to ask how are the questions different if at all in terms of what comes up in these review processes nowadays compared to before the pandemic and I'm not getting at um, the, the hybrid working I, I assume there's a lot of more video calls yeah. compared to before but in, term, in terms of are the questions different being, being mindful of everything we've just been talking about yeah I think um, you know picking up maybe on the, on the previous point what I would say is that um, yeah, t- what what is what is table stakes today is is probably what were differentiators three, four, five years ago. So you know the the traditional you know me- whether it's media buying, whether it's performance marketing, you know traditional media planning. Be- these are table stakes. There's there's no there's no question. Um, where I th- where I'd say clients are really focusing in on post post pandemic strategy is still absolutely fundamental, and that to the the previous conversation is is looking at you know true experience planning uh, you know comms connections you know really looking at strategy in the, in the widest sense the whole piece around the well, I guess the operating model I think there's a lot more focus on that being a differentiator particularly the you know for global brands looking at um, the opportunity to centralize or to create hubs leverage offshoring nearshoring just to try and create a more uh, frictionless operating model. Um, and then linked to that is is the whole um, operational piece, you know, workflow automation, you know, how do you actually mobilize and deliver this at scale, at speed, and in a way that is is consistent and standardized. And, you know, maybe this sounds a little bit boring, or, you know, it's not seemingly the most exciting part, but it is so key. It, it talks to all the earlier points we've spoken about, what is arguably wrong with the system is it just being too clunky and too slow. Um, but I think to hear how agencies are investing in automation and investing in trying to drive that workflow efficiency is becoming so much more important because it's, you know, it also impacts on the, on the client who don't forget there's a, there's a huge opportunity cost that they inherit by having to navigate that, that complexity within their own, own agency, agency ecosystem, not to mention their own internal organization. So, you know, if they can get that bit right, then hopefully the rest will follow. How did you come to be in this role? How did you come to do what you do working at MediaSense? Wow. Um, well, I started, funny enough, I started as a trafficker. Uh, that was my first job in media. Um, I had no idea what it was. A, tra- a, traf- a trafficker? You might have to explain what that is for some parts um, of the audience. They might be thinking of something different. Trafficking, uh, well, banner ads on websites um, a long time ah. ago. Um and that was at a, um, an agency called Profero, which is now known as uh, Media Hub. Um, and it was an incredible grounding. Mm. Um, being a full service agency exposed me to all parts of, of the industry. And um, in those days, you did you did everything. Uh, you did your trafficking, your planning, your buying. And it was great. But I, I wanted to be a consultant. You know, that, that was the bit that I, I enjoyed doing, giving advice. And, and so I, 
I Googled digital media consultant, believe it or not, and, and I clicked on a paid search ad and I found the role uh, working at the time for a company called Billets, which became Ubiquity. And then um, uh, a few years later joined uh, Andy and Graham, who was setting up MediaSense. And, um, and in many ways, the rest is history. And, uh, you know, it's been a great ride over the last 13, 14 years. Um, you know, we're going from strength to strength. And it's it, it's great to be in a in a job, I guess, where you're just constantly learning. Um, you know, we have to we have to learn in order to be relevant with our clients and, you know, being constantly challenged by, um, by our clients just to help them navigate this, this complexity. So it's, um, you know, it's been, uh, you know, it's been a great, great ride, but, but one that never gets, certainly never gets boring. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's fascinating that, um, you just, um, apl- applied on spec like that. I mean, um, what I imagine there are a lot of people out there who might not off the top of their head know how to get into strategy focused roles. I mean, what advice would you have for someone who's looking to make a similar transition as you did? Well, I think, um, the, the reality is, um, what our clients are looking for is, is expertise in media alongside that that critical thinking and that design thinking so i I wouldn't say we are um you know we pursue strategists per se but you know certainly those people who um have those characteristics and and fundamentally understand the ecosystem um you know we have built a great team of of people who are truly t-shaped um very curious um like variety and and i think um you know, people who are willing to maybe step out of their comfort zone and work with some leading brands and helping them solve some of their most complex challenges is, you know, the, the type of people that we, you know, we look to work with. So if that, if that sounds like an interesting career direction, then, you know, we would obviously love to love to hear from people like that. But um, when we talk to candidates, the, often the reason they're looking for something different is because they feel somewhat typecast. You know, they feel, you know, the, the, the level of direction or the lack of direction, I should say, is not always that obvious. Um, they feel maybe they are over-specialising in a, an individual discipline or a, an industry category. And the, the beauty of being in an advisory role is you get breadth through different, obviously, different industry sectors, um, different business challenges, different disciplines, whether it's media, creative data or technology. And you're able to really kind of learn from um, those different experiences, but you know, in many ways, it's a it's a mindset more than a um, a muscle that you need to be, I guess, effective in a consulting role. That you're just looking to constantly learn and challenge yourself. And um, I hope that doesn't come come across as too big a sell for media sense, but. Um, it's, uh, you know, I think some of those, those uh, characteristics. That, that are, definitely wasn't the question yeah. I asked, but uh, <laughs> it's definitely a way to answer it. I mean, um, I mean, hearing hearing you speak, I can um, I can hear this passion um, for media come through. Um, that's that's a question that going forward we want to ask everyone that we're interviewing at the media leader um, because we think it's actually really important to delve into why people work in this industry. Because if you ask anyone how they got into it, generally the answer is a very of oh well you know I, I just fell into yeah. it you know <laughs> um so why why would you say that you're passionate about media I, I guess the easy the easy answer is it it's always changing and it's always it therefore you know you, you're always learning and and being exposed to new things but I like the fact that we still haven't cracked it 
you know, the, the, the questions we're asking are in many ways the same questions we've been asking for the last few decades, whether it's around you know, measurement and impact and integration. I mean, these are these are never just set and done. So I like that just on an academic level. And, you know, it's, uh, it, you know, I always think it's important to retain a bit of healthy skepticism around our industry. You know, maybe we do take it too seriously and um, get stuck into what, Ever the latest uh, zeitgeist is, but that makes it interesting. You know that that you know we're always you know these these problems are always out there, and it's like with transformation. Someone once said to me, you know, transformation is never done. It's just what you can see today. You know, it's a, the endpoint is just simply what you can see today, and it's continually iterative and a continuous process. So I, I like I almost apply that to media. That you know, I don't think you can ever feel you've cracked it, despite the all the automation that's that's happening in the market um, and that's for me at least is, is what makes it interesting good answer and ryan thank you so much really really interesting um to get into that report in detail and find out um what could change next year as media palooza three four five don't know uh, the next media palooza dawns <laughs> dawns upon us um ryan thank you so much and thanks for coming on the media leader podcast no thanks for having me Thank you for listening to the Media Leader Podcast. This episode was edited by our production partners, Trisonic. You can find and listen to all our episodes on our website at themedialeader.co.uk or wherever you get your podcasts. But just remember, please do subscribe to be notified when we release our next episode. From all of us at The Media Leader, I'm editor Omar Oaks. Our executive producer is Jack Benjamin. See you next time.